Fox Spots and Chair Shots. And people, just to start off, if y'all haven't, go subscribe to Fox Spots and Chair Shots on all platforms to make sure we get in here on Fox Spots and Chair Shots. One of the hottest podcasts out here. Definitely from the spotlight. DJ Savage represents the takeover all day. And Fox Spots and Chair Shots, check Hello to all my people. If you're watching live, checking us out on YouTube, or listening on your favorite podcast provider, you are most definitely my people. Welcome to another episode of Botch Bots and Chair Shots. We still have high hopes of delivering quality wrestling content, but if not, we'll sprinkle in Matt Ritter, you know, so we still get over. I'm your host, a chef by trade and a mark by choice. I am the Will Gray, and I'm glad to be here on this journey. And tonight, that journey is the IWC's hot takes they're willing to die on a hill for. Joining me tonight for the monthly installment for what it feels like of Botch Spots and Ritter Shots. He is the host of the number one podcast on Pornhub. He is the patron saint of podcasting. He is my personal Pornhub poppy. He is Matt Ritter. Matt, thanks for coming back on and chatting about some wrestling, brother. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm happy to be here. Uh, we had a blast last time. We did horror movies and waffles. That was a dope fucking show. And uh, now I'm here to hopefully have some fun and shit all over people. Like, I mean, if they're willing to die on the hill, I'm willing to put them out of their misery. So let's do this. So I just want to take one quick second. We were talking before I hit the record button. So I'm going to take my second to, to gloat and say congratulations on five years to you and Vince and everybody else at the Smackin' It Raw crew. Um, I just want to say, like, you guys have always supported BotchBot since day one. You've had me on your show. Vince has talked to me and had me on his show. It's always been a great partnership so from botch bots and chair shots and the rest of the smack draw family just super big congrats for everything doing anything great for five years is tough and you guys are knocking it out of the park i appreciate it man and not just botch spots and chair shots which is always really hard to say for me um <laughs> i prefer botch spots and cum shots but that's neither here nor there uh smack draw as well which you are a part of like that's really where our partnership with other podcasts started with Vince being over there, Katie, Kyle, RN, um, that first couple of years, we didn't do any collaborations with anyone until they reached out. And the majority of the beginning of our collaborations were all just what I like to refer to as the, uh, Walmart brand version of smack and a raw, despite what Kyle wants to say about, uh, ceases and desists. So, all right, Matt, I always ask everybody right off the bat, first thing, is there anything in particular this week that has you pissed off for greatness in pro wrestling? Yes, there is. Um, I actually didn't watch a whole lot, but obviously the biggest news of uh, the the century as far as pro wrestling goes, Vince McMahon retired, and I, I tweeted about this. It cracked me up because, A, you saw you know people cheering. Like, oh, yeah, you know, and I get that. Like, if you're happy that Vince McMahon is retiring, if you think he's old and out of touch and has lost it, fine. If you don't like the product that he's been producing, that's fine. But it's the people who were, like, tagging hashtag AEW and AEW gifts and adding Tony Khan. Like, Tony Khan had nothing to do with this shit. Vince retired because he is an old pervert who finally got caught up in his bullshit and the legal ramifications ran him out of his own company. To quote Vince McMahon somewhat, Vince screwed Vince. AEW had nothing to do with this. This is not a win for AEW. This does not mean that AEW is going to rise in the rankings or the uh, the demos and take over WWE. Tony Khan is not buying out WWE. WWE is not losing anything from this change. So if you are celebrating on the thought that you think that Vince McMahon retiring is the death of WWE because you're some 
weird tribalist who just hates a company, you're sadly mistaken. If you want to celebrate a perverted old man being ousted from his position leading a company that he may be a little out of touch and too old for, absolutely celebrate that all you want. I personally look at it as we might not have AEW, Ring of Honor, Impact, or any of that shit if WWE hadn't done what it has done for the last 50, 60, however many fucking years that they've been around. So, I I have to completely agree. Um, my personal take on it is Vince is a creepy old dude. You know, like mm-hmm. he got caught being a creepy old dude. I'm not necessarily saying that gives him a pass. By no means am I giving him a pass for the things he's been accused of or the things he's done. But until he's found, you know, all of that is situated and handled, I'm looking at it from a wrestling perspective, and the dude has been, he's 77 years old, he's been the premier promoter in professional wrestling since the 70s, before that his dad, before that his granddad. So yeah, it's a big deal when a man retires. I'm not, like I said, I'm not by no means taking away. McMahon is a creep. But he's a creep who's been doing a really good job for a really long time. We can't take away from that. He's not Ric Flair creepy yet. You know what I mean? Like it's not he's to the pretty close. He's close, but you know what I mean? Like that's how I feel about it. Let's give the man at least a little bit of a chance to ride off into the sunset before we set his boat on fire. Like I'm just upset we didn't get the na 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 hey 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 goodbye. Like that was such a staple whenever Vince fired somebody back in the day that I would have liked to have gotten that as we shipped Vince out as just kind of a final farewell. Um, for me, I guess this week, one thing that has me pissed off for greatness is the lack of respect for the NWA. And I know a lot of people are like, who? <laughs> but come on, man, hear me out. Like, I really, really like the NWA. I'm not necessarily a big Smashing Pumpkins guy, but Billy Corgan's showing that he's an okay like booker in professional wrestling. It's got this cool old school studio feel. I just think more people need to give it a shot that aren't willing to watch something outside the mainstream that isn't Impact or Ring of Honor. Like, watch some new NWA footage. Like, they're doing a good job for what they are. Like, give them a chance, guys. <laughs> Who's our world champion right now? Uh, right now is Trevor Murdoch. And you said Billy Corgan's doing a great job as a booker. All right. Next thing on the <laughs> list. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, in the chat, JJ saying, watch IWTV. I do watch a lot of IWTV. Um, do you watch any IWTV, Matt? Do you watch any no. wrestling at all? I didn't think that was I good. mean, everything I watch is either old school ECW, WCW, WWF, WWE, or AEW. Um, on a very rare occasion, I'll catch Impact. Um, but outside of that, no, I'm not watching anything independent. I'm not watching anything uh, over in Fantasyland Japan um, where they make fan fiction. Uh, not my thing. Uh, that is one thing. I will plug one part of your show over at the Smackin' It Raw Network is the return to wrestling. I want to throw my name in that hat. I know I text you about it, but I'm saying it on air. Like, as soon as an opening comes on, I want to come on that show and talk about, like, do smacking it raw, but, like, Attitude Era WWF style. Like, <laughs> Well, as of right now, Return to Wrestling is just our walkthrough of WCW. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, within the next couple months, I'm actually going to talk to Travis about it tomorrow. We have a Creation World Creative meeting, and I'm going to bring up that I've got a couple people that have asked to come on and do that. So... 
I will definitely get you on to talk some uh, 1997 WCW within the next couple months. Hell yeah. Okay, uh, moving right along. News, rumors, headlines. The number one on my list is Vince is out, but this isn't about Vince. This is about Steph and Hunter. They're the captains now. What do you think you look at WWE moving forward in an optimistic way, or are you just still kind of unsure, let it play out? Uh, I'd say unsure, let it play out. I mean, here's the deal. Vince is out, right? And that means that Vince is not going to be there to tear up the script an hour before the show and rewrite the whole thing and all of that. So we may get a little bit more of creative, but at the same time, everyone that Vince put in place for creative is still in place. Stephanie got promoted to co-CEO with Nick Khan and chairwoman. Uh, Triple H returned to head of talent relate or EVP of talent relations. Neither of them are, as far as I know, at least in creative roles yet. If you tell me that Paul Heyman gets full creative control, Triple H is put in charge of creative for TV or Shawn Michaels, then I might get a little excited about what we might start seeing and some of the changes that we might get over on Raw and SmackDown. But until then, you've still got Bruce Pritchard there. You've still got all of these people that Vince put in place. They know what Vince's product is and they know how he wants it to go. So I think if anything, the changes are going to come slow. So I'm going to wait to see where we end up. I don't think we're going to get anything drastic. Uh, yeah, this is definitely a let it play out situation. I don't see this being a quick fix. There's not going to be this instant turnaround. It's not going to be a black and gold to NXT 2.0 style thing where it's one week it's this way, then the next week it's brand new. Um, I am curious to see what roles and changes Triple H does make as the EVP of talent relations, sitting in Johnny Ace's chair, having the big boy spot. You know what I mean? Like what kind of role will he play in that position? Um, so those are some of my questions with it, but I definitely think we have no choice but to let it play out. Uh, next one down is the Undertaker bio on the A&E special as an Undertaker guy. What'd you think about it? I really enjoyed it. Um, I watched that and Rivals, and Rivals was really cool because I've just, for my own sake, gone back and started watching 1996 WWF in my spare time uh, because that's... I pinpoint that as when I really fell in love with wrestling. That whole feud between Undertaker and Mankind in early 1996 and on was where I fell in love. So, A, getting to watch, you know, The Undertaker and see, you know, everything that I've seen in his career, but him sitting down through his eyes, through his – like, we didn't get anything new out of it. There was nothing that we didn't know that was like a shocker, but it was nice to sit down and hear his sentiments and thoughts on the stories and things he went through. And the same thing, in my opinion – arguably the greatest rivalry of all time, Undertaker and Kane. Um, that was fun as shit as well. So both were great. Uh, I liked the Undertaker series. Uh, both episodes were super cool. Um, I thought it was convenient timing because I was working on a piece for the Master of Pain, which was Undertaker's first run in USWA, mm -hmm. dethroning Jerry Lawler. I just coincidentally was writing a piece on Undertaker's first title reign as the bio series came out. So I was like, this is perfect timing because getting easy quotes for that kind of stuff is cool. I like how they did a good job in the biography of taking each different person Mark Calloway was along the journey and how they built it to where they explained if it wasn't, 
you know, the big tall lanky kid waiting at the sportatorium getting booked by Von Erich, then he wouldn't have became the master of pain. He wouldn't have become a skyscraper, then Mean Mark Callis, then The Undertaker. How, like, they took you every step of the way and explained how if these specific things didn't happen leading to who he became, like, wrestling would have looked totally different. You know what I mean? Like, it was such a cool evolution of who he was. And because he was The Undertaker for so long, I feel like it pulled the curtain back for a lot of people who never got an opportunity to see who he was before he was The Undertaker. It's really funny to me that WCW had Mark Calloway, The Undertaker, stunning Steve Austin, Stone Cold Steve Austin, and Cactus Jack, Mick Foley. And at one point in time said, these guys are never going to draw. Let them go, and Vince turned them into fucking megastars. Like, which ended up putting the company out of business. Like, the the idea that The Undertaker would never draw a dime, and then he was the focal point of WrestleMania for two decades. Like, come on. I like the Tony Schiavone quote from, it was January 4th, 1999. McFoley had just won his title. And at the point, WCW had they knew that Foley was going to win in the main event. And Tony Schiavone said, right before they went to their last break, don't you dare turn it over to the competitors. It's not worth your time. We've learned that Cactus Jack is going to win their world title. Like, come on, do you really think that's going to put butts in seats? Like, WCW was shaming WWE for putting the title on Foley, which turned into this ridiculous, like, meteoric push for Foley and then The Rock and then The Rock and Sock connection and then everything that came after it. And you're absolutely right. Like Cornette had a lot of these guys sitting in his lap when he was booking for WCW and just let them walk out the door. Like it's nuts to me when you look at it. That was the turning point in the Monday Night War as well, where everyone flipped the channel to watch Mankind win the title. And that's where the 83 streak or 83 week streak ended. Um, one of those hot takes is on this list and I'm super excited to bring that up. I do have one more question for you before we dive into them though. Is there any hype for you at all for death before dishonor? No, none. No. I mean, I was joking about it. I think on the get show podcast when they were like, Oh, Briscoe's versus FDR. And I'm like, I didn't know that Jerry, uh, came back to wrestle. Like, (laughs) and then they're like, no, 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 no. Uh, the country guys that cut promos from their barn. And I'm like, Oh, he, he has other children besides Jay. Like, are are they are they cousins? Like, who? Um, Claudio versus uh, Jordan Grace's husband, Jonathan Gresham. That, yeah, the the four ten guy. Again, I'm sure they're going to be great matches. Just as of right now, AEW has not done enough to hype me for their Ring of Honor pay per view. I know it's big for people who enjoy Ring of Honor or have watched a lot of these talents working, and you know, I as I've always said, I'm much more of a story guy. I need a good story going into something than I am. Just pop, promise me a card full of really great matches. That does not get me excited. I can go watch great matches on YouTube. I don't need to pay for it. So. Uh, I love the fact that those are the two matches that you mentioned because those are the only two that I have any personal hype for. So it kind of shows you like how little hype there is for it. Um, I was on perched on the top rope and Lee and I were discussing it. And I told him that I was like, there were only a few cards on the match that I felt were built at all. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That had any kind of build or any real pop. I think the Samoa Joe Jay lethal match is going to be awesome. 
But really, it's FTR Briscoes and Claudio Gresham. You know, those are the only two that have any real pop right now, as far as I'm concerned. And I don't really see anything else on the card. I'm not worried about the Ring of Honor women's title. I'm not worried about the six-man titles or whatever, their trios tags. Like, I'm not worried about that. Like, none of that no. stuff is appealing to me right now. To be honest, as much as I enjoy Mercedes Martinez, and also she kind of scares me, I think that if Serena Deeb did win, Ring of Honor would be in a better position with Serena Deeb as champion than they would Mercedes. Just because AEW is going to utilize Serena Deeb where they have not really utilized Mercedes ever since she won that championship. Like, she's not been on TV, not been featured. So, if they're not, unless they get a Ring of Honor like uh, show, where we can watch a weekly Ring of Honor show, you have to take the scraps that you either get if you're going to go on YouTube and watch Dark or Dark Elevation or the little bit that they might throw on Rampage or maybe a vignette on Dynamite, and it's not enough to get me excited. You brought up um, Samoa Joe versus Jay Lethal. I'm sure that'll be an amazing wrestling match, but the story that they've told with, uh, is it Satnam Singh? Yeah, and, I think uh, so. Christopher Daniels coming in like there. Hey, I don't really want to see two old guys wrestling for that title. I'd rather kind of see Samoa Joe go against a Miro or someone like we've seen Jay Lethal versus Samoa Joe. How many times in TNA? Like, I don't really need to see that again. I'd, I'd kind of like a new exciting matchup, especially with Samoa Joe's career. Kind of, I think being on the winding down period, let's get some of these dream matches. Samoa Joe versus, uh, uh, itchy um, Samoa Joe versus Miro Samoa Joe versus Keith Lee some of these matches I'd like to see for that title more so than him against Jay Lethal with you know Jay Lethal's little posse um, yeah I think Samoa Joe versus Murder Grandpa would be cool Suzuki yep. would be a good match uh, I said that Jay Lethal needs the TV title because TK needs somebody that's going to tour with that belt. Kind of like what you were saying, Samoa Joe's on the... He's not... It's not taking away from how great he is. He's just not working a ton. And if you're rebranding and refabbing a promotion from the ground up for a completely new like reboot, you need somebody that's going to be touring, somebody that's going to be doing dates. And Jay Lethal... He's not exactly a spring puppy, but he's not exactly Samoa Joe either. You know what I mean? He's still doing dates. He's got some big bookings coming up, including Flair's last match, which is good publicity. So having your TV champion, you know, wearing the belt for something that big is, in my opinion, the the right call for it. I can't believe we just got that much Ring of Honor conversation out of you and me, Matt. Like, yeah, right. That's that's surprising. I'll I'll give that props. So maybe TK did a better job than we thought. You know, maybe like. Yeah, subliminal messaging right there. All right, this is what I'm excited for, Matt. I'm just going to start. I'm going to read them off, and uh, you and I are just going to dissect, you know, how we feel about these particular anonymous hot takes from various talking heads and wrestlers and referees and ring announcers and, you know, people who love wrestling and people who hate wrestling because I've asked people from all walks of life, not just wrestling fans. First one is one of my personal favorites right off the rip is just simple, straightforward. Pro wrestling is redneck anime. <laughs> um, um I, I I could see that. I could see that. Um I have always looked at pro wrestling as a TV show. Uh when people ask me why do you still watch wrestling, it's not real, I tell them the same I tell everyone the same thing. 
wrestling is a TV show. It's no different than Game of Thrones. The dragons aren't real, but no one gives a fuck about that. You know, they're not really stabbing each other and shooting each other with arrows. It is scripted violence, but we don't care about that. So why do we care when it's wrestling? It is a source of entertainment. So while wrestling does have that sort of redneck uh, stigmatism behind it, you know, uh, I which I don't agree with. I feel like people attribute people attribute the fact that uh, you're kind of a lower class or a lower intelligence if you enjoy wrestling. Whereas, again, it's a pure form of entertainment. It's no different than any other TV show that you're watching uh, with, with actual scripted stunts and violence. Um so that I, I get where they're coming from, but I, I no nah, fuck that. Like, I usually ask one question when somebody says, "You know, wrestling's fake, right?" And I'll usually go, "What's your favorite TV show?" And then no matter what, they'll start talking, and I'll kind of interrupt them like a jerk, and I'll be like, "It doesn't matter because it's fake." Because nine times out of ten, it is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even reality TV is not that much of a reality anymore. No. You know what I mean? So even then, I'm just like, it doesn't matter. I, I say this a lot and I'll say it again. I'll never yuck somebody's yum. So like, just because I like pro wrestling doesn't mean I expect everybody else to like pro wrestling. So uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think it's redneck anime, though. I do like that analogy. I think I'm going to use that for some other things in my life. Um, I'd kind of like to see it be a little bit more redneck anime, like... You know, if they could power up and maybe like, I mean, we've seen fireballs and shit. So like, why the fuck not? What was the cruiserweight champion's name? Um, oh, shit. He was the the redneck guy used to come out in the blue jean shorts. Not Billy Kid. Jamie Noble. Yeah, that's what mm -hmm. we need. We need more Jamie Nobles. Um, next one. They peeled back the layers too far. A little kayfabe goes a long way. Uh, sorry, I read Alice, Allison's uh, <laughs> comments about the botched spots and chair shots. We've support redneck anime since 2021 t-shirt. Uh, great idea. I, um, I, that's absolutely a good idea. I want that on a t-shirt. So pulled, pulled yeah. the curtain back too far. You know, again, very divisive because I do see the point like, but also it, it goes back to the last conversation we had. This is basically a TV show. It is a form of entertainment. Like we know things about the lives of the actors outside of the shows that they portray. Like I know that Amelia Clark has done other things. She's not just Daenerys Targaryen. I know that, you know, uh, Bob Odenkirk isn't just better call Saul. He was Mr. Nobody. Like he's done movies and he has a life and he has wife and kids and, we see all of that because it is entertainment. So why does it have to be any different for wrestling? If, especially if we all know that it's fake, why does everything still need to be hidden? Like, does, if you know that it's scripted violence, if you know that it's not real, if you know that it's entertainment, would them not telling you some of the behind the, the scenes things really pull the wool over your eyes? And then I guess... We saw last night where it might, where they worked all the dirt sheets and said that Brock Lesnar left and then he showed up at the end of the show and everyone was like, oh, holy shit, because we all thought he walked out and quit. So maybe, actually, maybe we're a little too exposed. The dirt sheets give us a little too much. We know a little bit too much of what's going on. I will say the biggest problem with the IWC and professional wrestling is that not only we have access to all of this information, but then we all have a platform and a voice to talk about it because 
a lot of us talk and I'm going to include myself, whereas most of my show is kind of analytical satire for fun. You know, a lot of us talk out of our ass because we're not necessarily in the business. So we're giving our opinion on something that we have never done, what we think they should be doing when we have no experience in it whatsoever. And the more information we have, the more entitled we feel to our opinion. So in that way, yeah, I'd say it's a hindrance. Yeah, I think that a little kayfabe goes a long way, but also just kind of echoing your points. If you're watching a TV show and you turn the episode off, does that mean you have to go past the episode? Do you have to Google the person? Do you have to find out, you know, if you're watching, you know, CSI Miami or whatever, do you have to know everything Ice-T done before he was on the show? You know what I mean? Like, or can you just focus on him as that one character? Do you have to know everything about him and i feel like that's kind of how professional wrestling is now you can watch raw and then decide how deep down the rabbit hole you want to go to see what cody had for breakfast you know what i mean like that's up to the person and i feel like that's all up to how much of kayfabe you want to believe in as a fan how much of the show do you want to think is real for the entertainment principle and purpose of it and i think that you can kind of make and take away with that however you want to you can make kayfabe as real as you want to make it or as fake as you want to make it based on how much of a fan you want to be in it. Uh, Allison, I do not Google every actor in every show, but when I do, normally the term nude is behind the name. So. My my Google predictive text is really creepy sometimes for that. It's like, mm -hmm. who is this guy? Why was he in this show? And it's like, do you want to see him naked? No, man. Like, not every celebrity I put into Google I want to find nudes of. I do. Okay. So, okay. So maybe I'm not that far. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this next one came from a person who wasn't a wrestling fan now, but was when they were a kid. They said that when they were young, they remember fights between their brothers as to who was the bigger star, Hogan or Andre. Yeah. Um, I think this is an easy one for me. Uh, Andre was, in my opinion, the bigger star because he was the attraction. He was who they brought in to kind of make Hogan who he was. So at the time that they were both still going, Andre was that star. Andre toured, you know, around the world, uh, you know, under his WWF contract before Vince had bought up all the territories. Andre was famous everywhere before Hogan was and Hogan blowing up to the extent he did was kind of on Andre's way out of the business. So between the two at the time, I would say Hogan was the big star. And at the time Hogan needed Andre. Um, I just wish that Andre would have taught Hogan to wrestle a little better uh, before he departed. I think it talks about how big Andre was in the business that if you go back far enough in Japan when Inoki first started making the what eventually became the G1 Climax, they named the Madison Square Garden League, the MSG League, after Madison Square Garden because of what Andre the Giant was doing in wrestling at the time. They literally mm -hmm. brought him over into the tournament and he ran just roughshod through everybody, went the entire tournament undefeated until the, the crowned King Inoki could beat him. 
You know what I mean? Like they brought him all the way to Japan and made him look like this undefeatable giant so their king could topple him down the mountain. And that speaks to how big Andre was in the business. Hogan did come in in 83 and win the inaugural IWGP title and all of that. And he broke away and then Hulkamania was born. But I think if you look at what Andre did, if Andre hadn't gotten as big as he was, Hogan's breakout would have never happened. Mm-hmm. So that's and- just that. Let me say this real quick, uh, because anyone who's listened or been on a show where Bobby's been on and I've been in the chat harassing Bobby knows I am not a Hulk Hogan fan, but uh, prosthetic penis sex tape and racism and just overall terrible wrestling aside, I will never deny the impact that Hulk Hogan had on the business. I will never say that Hogan wasn't the big draw that he was. He was absolutely the big draw. I have always said Hogan is moments, not matches. Um, you you can point and say, oh, well, he had great matches in Japan. And I will tell you, no, Japanese wrestlers had great matches in Japan that Hogan was a part of. Uh, Hogan did not have great matches in Japan. Uh, people say Rock versus Hogan. That was a moment. That was a stare down. The match itself, if you can turn off the crowd noise, is not a great match. Uh, I've been watching Hulk Hogan from 95 up to 97 in WCW. His belt shots, his chair shots, and just everything about him is cringe as hell and terrible and this is re-watching stuff i've already seen all of that aside his impact in the 80s and his impact in the late 90s is what it is and i can never take that away from him and i never would try to he did do for wrestling what he did do for wrestling the problem was he started to believe his own hype and kind of killed his own legacy because of it five moves in a leg drop bro that's it mm-hmm. five moves in a leg drop um next one And I'm kind of curious about your opinion on this as somebody who likes old school ECW. Uh, TNN pulling the plug was the eventual demise of ECW. If Heyman could have kept the backing, they could still easily be the number two promotion right now. Uh, Do you think that initial TV deal following through with TNN was the demise? Or do you think the writing was already on the wall by that point for Heyman and ECW? I think the writing was already on the wall at that point. Like, I mean, you've heard Heyman talk about it. Heyman said that he got this TV deal to get his name out there because he knew that they were just using him as a trial to show that they could do ratings with wrestling to lure in WWE or WCW. Like, that's all they were there for. But Heyman was like, I'm going to use this opportunity to try and get myself a network deal somewhere else and show that this product is valuable a big part of their demise and their problem was the fact that even with the TV deal, they didn't have money to maintain the wrestlers that they had had and created, let alone keep them from bigger contracts from WCW and WWE. Every time someone got big, one of those two companies came in and offered them a much bigger contract and a better life. And then they were gone. And then you had to start from scratch. And Heyman is great at starting from scratch with guys that you would never think would be anything in this business or that he saw talent in that no one else did at the time and making them superstars, but he was just prepping them for a bigger stage and he never had the financial backing to compete in that area. He was always behind the eight ball on that. Um, I think one of Heyman's biggest things in pro wrestling is he's always been a terrible businessman but he's always had an amazing mind for the business. 
So it's proven that when he was running ECW, he was having trouble getting payouts on his pay-per-view buys. You know what I mean? Like he was barely breaking even and not breaking even on putting on these huge shows because he didn't have the legal team or the backing to actually collect on some of the stuff he was doing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like he kind of shot himself in the foot in a lot of ways because of that. You know, he, he cut his overhead and would run the promos out of his mom's basement, which is historically known for building the set down in his mom's basement and cutting all of them from down there to help his overhead. But cutting your overhead doesn't matter if you're not collecting on anything you're making. You know what I mean? Yep. If you're not generating any revenue and not bringing anything in, it doesn't matter. So I feel like a lot of the stuff that shot ECW in the foot wasn't just TV deals falling through. It was just shoddy business practices, which I'm not accusing Paul Heyman of. We've heard hundreds of people in the business say the same thing about it, you know, so mm -hmm. it's, it's not a secret. So I don't necessarily think it was TNN. I think it was multiple things. I think Heyman has proved, though, that he can be one of the top minds in the business for producing shows, producing matches, putting on cards. I think he's pretty decent. Producing anything. I, if you think about this, if so, I'm watching The Offer, or I just finished watching The Offer, which is on Paramount Plus. It's about the making of The Godfather. Uh, the producers and directors are great creative minds who work with the talent and lend to the talent and make the talent better and get the talent what they need or the directors what they need to make a movie great. But there is a business aspect of it that a lot of producers don't really have the mind for whereas on the other hand of it the the business aspect of the business the people that crunch the numbers and do that don't understand the need for the creativity paul Heyman is creative paul Heyman is a great creative mind and if he had a businessman with him to handle the business who was as good at business as he was at creative they would have been great paul i i personally believe TV shows, movies, porn, Paul could produce anything and find and make stars. It's not just wrestling related. He does wrestling because he loves it. But that man has a silver tongue, can talk his way into anything. He could be producing anything right now. And he chose wrestling and we're lucky for it. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and roll into another one that has Heyman involved in it because I'm curious about this one because this one says if Dixie Carter in 2009 when she was the chairwoman over Impact, who was a fantastic businesswoman but not a wrestling mind, if she had brought Heyman in in 2009 and finalized the deal, Impact would have blown up and been easily the number two promotion. Yeah, actually, I'll agree with that. Uh, there were a lot of mistakes made in impact in 2009 um you know as much as i love eric bischoff eric bischoff is notoriously you know um a hulk hogan simp um ever bringing hulk hogan in any company and giving him creative control is going to be the downfall of your company and also names like rick flair guys who feel like they're too big to listen to a booker that they don't respect or having a booker that is going to uh, cave to every whim that they have and not kind of, you know, straighten them out on some things. Uh, Paul Heyman is not that guy. Paul Heyman sees talent. He nurtures talent, but he also knows when to kind of back off on talent. And I think creatively, which is what impact could have used and needed with the roster that they had in 2009 would have been far better off with Paul Heyman at the helm than they were with Vince Russo, Jeff Jarrett, 
Uh, Dutch Mantel was the, those guys were yeah. all down there at that time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with it. I think Dixie needed somebody other than that band of merry gentlemen because I mean, think about the the mass hysteria that was the Dutch Mantel, you know, electrified cage match and shit that he was bringing up from Puerto Rico that Bruiser and those guys couldn't pull off in the seventies. And then mm-hmm. with no real production team, TNA tried to pull off in 2008, 9, 10, whatever it was. Um, the next one came from a pretty reputable source, I would say. Oh, he's, a, a, he's a talking head in the IWC. Um, I would say he's, he's pretty good. He's pretty well known. Uh, he says if the WWE closed their doors, pro wrestling would be just fine. He says without WWE, pro wrestling is fine. No, no. Um, here's the thing. Uh, a lot of people don't look at WWE as pro wrestling, but the thing is, as far as pro wrestling goes, the thing that has attracted people to pro wrestling, the thing that's gotten people to watch and love pro wrestling, it is WWE. And then as they grow older, they find things that they like in GCW, you know, with the wrestling gangbang porn that they do over there uh the japanese stuff aw all of that like they they find this stuff after but wwe is that initial introduction it is a part of i feel almost everyone's love of wrestling and beginning and it is a necessary part in my opinion um of drawing in new fans before you can be like oh you know what i like this as a kid or i like this as a teenager or yeah, I got my start here, but I found what I really like. This is who I really am in wrestling. Um, and without them on the main platform around the world, drawing in fans uh, globally, wrestling might be okay in North America and Japan, but it's pretty much going to die everywhere else because you don't have AEW is doing great for being three going on four years into the business. Um, but they're not doing WWE numbers. They're not globally doing what WWE does. And they're not offering the same product that appeals to a larger audience uh, around the world. So will it be fine? Probably not. Will we see a decline? Yes. Is there an opportunity for someone to step up and step in and grab those reins and possibly uh, take up that mantle? Sure, but is it a guaranteed thing? Absolutely not, because we all have different things that we love as wrestling fans. You are excited for NWA. I couldn't have even told you who the NWA champion was. Um, People love Impact and tell me about Impact all the time. I have not watched Impact in a very long time. I know Warren Hayes, love uh, JJ, IWTV, independent wrestling TV. It's fantastic, right? Does not appeal to me. It's not my thing, but they all love that. And then the stuff that I love in WWE and AEW isn't for everybody. It's not universal. Like, I see people shitting on it all the time. You need that variety, and WWE is part of that variety. And if you take that away, not only are you going to lose a lot of wrestling fans – you're going to lose a global market that draws in new fans that opens the door to introduce them to everything else that they are now watching. Yep. 
<laughs> I think I think if you look at wrestling in different like different eras, I said I wrote down in the eighties, there's no way professional wrestling could have survived without WWE in the nineteen eighties. In the nineteen nineties, however, with New Japan and AAA and WCW all being pretty decent sized. I mean, with WCW beating WWF for 83 weeks, you know, like there was a chance in the 90s if WWE shut their doors, there was enough big promotions working in the States that there was maybe a chance. But then you turn around and you ride that wave right back into the early 2000s. New Japan's on a low, WCW's gone, ECW's gone. There's no way the early 2000s could have survived without WWE. Now in 2022, we look at it, AEW's great but not like in a worldwide thing we're in this weird maybe you know what i mean like maybe mm-hmm. there's enough coverage maybe new japan strong and impact and reigning of honor are all going to be able to to pick up and carry you know what i mean maybe the talent that'll come out of wwe would be able to to lift some of these other promotions up to where we could maybe go back to a a territory fill where there's four or five big companies not just one or two but if I, they could even afford that talent and then if that you know, affording that talent doesn't put a financial strain on their business because a lot of these wrestlers that are making big contracts in WWE are not going to want to go out and work for a GC. Like the guys you see leave WWE and go work for AEW love wrestling. And they may be making the same amount of money that they're making in WWE or close to it. But those guys love wrestling. There are re- just just doing the wrestling. Like they don't care about the stories or anything. They just love going and competing in a ring in front of people, which you should. But there are people that love the entertainment aspect of what they do and the characters and things like that that not everyone can offer them. Um, and also, you have a family to raise and to take care of, and you become accustomed to a certain kind of lifestyle that you may not be willing to sacrifice to go and wrestle uh an indie show here or get paid less at impact for like not everyone's gonna be willing to make that sacrifice look at the iconics i love the iconics they grew up they loved wrestling wwe kind of turned them off they went to impact they did their impact run and then they retired basically in their prime because they kind of realized that they had a lifestyle they wanted to lead um that they were going to achieve outside of what they could do with just impact Um, they had other things that they wanted to achieve and do. And a lot of people do, um, wrestling is something that they love, that they get into, that they try, but they have other goals afterwards, or, you know, financially they need more than what some of these companies are going to be able to pay if WWE goes out of business. Let me ask you a question about somebody. I know that you rank highly on your personal board as far as professional wrestling goes. And this is me playing devil's advocate with you, Mr. Ritter, uh, Mm -hmm. your boy, Bray Wyatt. Okay, looking at what Bray Wyatt wants, he's a guy that talks about wanting, you know, creativity and wanting to have his creative control, but he also expects the paycheck you're talking about. Bray's not going to go put his show on for GCW money. You're absolutely right. He deserves better than GCW money for what he brings to the ring and brings to production and everything he can do, everything that he does. But You have to look at it. If he can't get the creative from one side and he can't get the pay from the other, AEW would give him the creative, 
But if Bray Wyatt's WWE contract came over to AEW, it would make him the second highest paid person in the company. Mm-hmm. From, I think, the seventh or eighth in WWE. He would go from the seventh or eighth highest contract to being the second highest contract only behind John Moxley. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, And that's the issue is AEW can't bring in two Moxleys. They can't afford it. Not just that, but while AEW might give them the creative, they don't do the same kind of storytelling that made Bray great in WWE. And it is one of my biggest knocks against AEW is, for example, this last week, we had Wheeler Yuta versus, uh, was it Trent or uh, Chuck? Chuck Taylor. Yeah, it was Chuck Taylor, I think, yeah. Which is a story that they created months ago and then there has been nothing really about it, maybe a sprinkle here or there, that we're now getting back to after Wheeler Yuta's been part of the Blackpool Combat Club. He's become a pure champion. He's done all of these things. He went over and competed in New Japan in their uh, Best of the Super Dupers Classic or whatever it was. Like, he's done these things, and they just kind of let that story go to the wayside, and then they expect us to care when we bring it back up or understand why the best friends are being dicks to their friend who wanted to go wrestle and do this stuff. And the, the backstage, the, the extra stuff that WWE offers, like we're not going to get Firefly Funhouse on AEW. They don't have time for it. They're not going to put the production into it. We're not going to get that. We'll get Bray doing something similar to what Alistair's doing, which while I love it, does feel lacking. Like I feel like there could be more with Alistair than just dark vignettes, lights out, appearing in the ring, kicking people in the head. I feel like we could be getting more and we're not. So honestly, I think the best place for Bray to go if he wasn't going to be in WWE would be Impact because they will give him the creative. They may not have the production scale, but they will give him the creative. They will allow him to do all of the fun, crazy shit he wants to do, and they'll put it on fucking TV. So for the creative aspect, I'd say Impact. But best case scenario, best place for Bray is going to be WWE, which is another reason why I don't think WWE can go anywhere. Because if we lose that, you're losing characters like The Undertaker, characters like The Fiend, the stuff that really draws me into what I care about in wrestling. There's stuff I like everywhere else, but what I love, I've gotten from WWE. I think Bray in Impact, but running as the Eater of Worlds, Swamp Master Bray Wyatt would kill an Impact. He didn't need mm -hmm. a ton of production to be that character. And just the name and the ambiance and the rocking chair is very, you know, uh, Impact Asylum-esque. You know what I mean? Like he feels like he would fit well in that feel. And especially with Impact moving back towards that studio feel, I think why it would kill it there. But it's the money thing. We know Impact can't, Impact as wrestling might not be worth what Bray Wyatt's contract would take to bring him in to wrestle. You know what I mean? Like Wyatt's an expensive name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Listen here, JJ and Alice. Uh, I open my legs before I open my heart. And I'm not even opening my legs for indie wrestling. It's just it's not my thing. I am not going to, again, to quote my great, my great host here today, Will Gray, I'm not going to yuck your yum. All right. If you enjoy <laughs> indie wrestling, I'm absolutely cool with that. I'm even going to let you come on my show and talk indie wrestling. If you want, if that's what you watch during the week and you want to spit or swallow indie wrestling, come on and tell me about it. But me personally, I've got other things outside of what I, I do that I enjoy in wrestling. 
that uh, I'm not willing to give up to make room for independent wrestling. <laughs> she says if they put out porn-related indie wrestling, you would. <laughs> I will say that there there is some of that on Pornhub, and I have checked that out, but I fast-forward through a lot of it, so... Um, I'm throwing this out here for JJ and Warren both that when they're ready to come on and do one of these episodes specifically geared towards indie wrestling, I'm chomping at the bit for that. Just waiting. Um, next one off the list is two that I'm putting together because they kind of, you'll understand, they, they go. One person said the golden era was the best era. One person said the attitude era was. And one person said the ruthless aggression era was. In your opinion, how do you rank those three, one, two, three, if you had to put them in order as far as you're concerned? Uh, Golden Era is going to be the last for me. Um, I said it earlier. I can pinpoint my love of professional wrestling as basically the starting point of the Attitude Era. I knew, like, here's the thing. I know when I was younger than that, that I was a wrestling fan and knew wrestling because my grandparents owned a restaurant in Chicago Heights and there was a guy that used to come in that looked a lot like Hulk Hogan that I was convinced was Hulk Hogan. There was also a guy named Carl that looked like Bam Bam Bigelow. And I thought Hulk Hogan and Bam Bam Bigelow were coming into my grandparents' restaurant and they let me believe that for a couple years. Like I have a picture that I thought I took with Hulk Hogan. It's just some random fucking dude that kind of looked like him. Mind you, I was also a child and I didn't know any fucking better. Um, I love Carl. I thought he was Bam Bam Bigelow. I really did. So I was a wrestling fan prior to 96, but what I really fell in love with it was 96. However, if you look back at the actual work rate, the wrestling matches and the stories told, I'd say Ruthless Aggression is probably the best era in wrestling, hands down, period. Um, because Attitude Era gave us a lot of off-the-wall, crazy, outlandish stuff that may not be so okay nowadays. Ruthless Aggression kept some of that but also added in far better matches than anything we got in the Attitude Era from either, you know, Attitude Era is WWE specific, but WCW was running during the Attitude Era. The Monday Night Wars were during the Attitude Era, and a lot of people forget that. So we got better matches out of the Ruthless Aggression Era than we got in both WWE and WWF back then. A lot of WWF was fights. Like, it was brawling. It was fights. It was weapons. It, it wasn't great matches. The Kurt Angles. The Eddie Guerrero's um, much debated former world heavyweight champion and uh, Chris Benoit was there as well. Edge uh, coming up and, you know, becoming a main eventer. All of these great wrestlers and these great in-ring competitions, Rey Mysterio and WWF, like all of that was ruthless aggression. And they still had the storytelling to back everything up. Attitude Era had the storytelling, but they didn't have great wrestling. The Golden Era was the Golden Era. It was a lot of yelling and screaming and nonsense and hype and very, very 80s, but like the worst of the 80s. But because it was the 80s, everyone loved it in the 80s. I'm going to go Attitude Era 1, Ruthless Aggression 2, then Golden Era 3. Um, I agree with everything you're saying about the Ruthless Aggression era as far as better in-ring work. I think if you look at the Attitude Era as WWF and WCW as two independent components because of the Monday Night Wars, I think the in-ring work we were getting from WCW at that time was better than the mm -hmm. in-ring work yeah. of WWF. Um, but I think the stories in 
the WWF and the Attitude Era. And even if it's because I'm a homer and you and I are relatively close to the same age, we both grew up watching a lot of the same stuff. And I feel like the Attitude Era, WWE, WWF, like they imprinted on me as a wrestling fan. So I go mm-hmm. back to a lot of those stories, Undertaker, Mankind, Undertaker, Kane, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, you know, like I remember three very different components of Shawn Michaels career, you know, bef- when he was with the Rockers to when he was HBK to when he came back in 2001 and won at Survivor Series and the, the Elimination Chamber. But now, I just, to be fair though, that, second end of Shawn Michaels run and that whole Triple H Shawn Michaels that was all ruthless aggression yeah the after I think ruthless yes. do you consider the ruthless aggression era starting with Vince calling everybody out to the ring hey this is the root we need a new era for ruthless aggression and then John Cena um, smacking the shit out of Kurt Angle like do you think that was the starting point for it or do you think that weird 2001 to 2003 like gray area was the bridge so I, I, I'd say less so the 2001, but more 2002 to 2003 was the bridge. Um, yeah. And we kind of talked, like you had a guest on and you guys actually broke down the different eras and you guys talked, and I was in the chat and I was talking to you guys about it. Yeah, I think the Attitude Era died at WrestleMania 17. Once Vince bought WCW and WCW came in, it's a weird gray period for me um, that I don't really think falls into either. Um, and then, like you said, there's that bridge where we were getting into ruthless aggression. So yeah, I guess mid to end of 2001 through Vince doing his thing, um, calling everyone out, talking about and announcing basically the ruthless aggression era uh, would be a bridge there. So I think the ruthless uh, aggression era definitely produced the best in ring work between those. Uh, following up another attitude era one is WWE's greatest triumph of all time was convincing the world that the New Age Outlaws could actually wrestle. <laughs> um, I really don't think WWE did that. Uh, yeah, maybe they did. So here's the thing. Like I said, Attitude Era was all about brawling. It was big spectacle matches and bigger-than-life personalities, which is what captured both you and I as children and made me love it. You got... Road Dog coming out. Oh, you didn't know? Yo ass better call somebody. Like, and doing his thing. Billy Gunn being the ass man, having that song, being over the top characters. Now, I will say Billy Gunn can wrestle. Um, Road Dog, again, more of a fighter, more of a brawler. Uh, he, he did a lot of punches. He did the shake, rattle, and roll. It was a lot of uh, pageantry in the ring with those guys. Plus, they're a part of DX, so they've got you know, the added bonus of degeneration X and suck it and all of the taunts and the things like that. So I don't necessarily know that they convinced us that they were, they could wrestle. They weren't the best tag team um, by any means, as far as an in-ring standpoint, I don't know that they convinced us that they were, but uh, they definitely made them seem like they were far better than they really were as a team going back and watching their stuff, especially when you look at the greats like the Dudley Boys, uh, Dungeon of Doom, Harlem Heat, um, tag teams like that, or I'm sure you would go even farther back and say like the Midnight Express, the Rockers, uh, all of that stuff. Yeah, they're not in ring wise or ring psychology wise anywhere on that level, but 
for the the pure pageantry and entertainment of what the new age outlaws were they were fantastic that, that few that they had with uh terry funk and cactus jack like oh come on terry funk coming out with a chainsaw then throwing him into a dumpster and pushing him off the stage <sighs> i'm so glad you brought that up one of my favorite attitude era stories ever has to be the Terry Funk and Mick Foley winning the tag team titles, but then their alter egos, Chainsaw Charlie and Ch Cactus Jack, hating each other and wanting to like beat the piss out of each other. So half mm -hmm. the time they're tag champions being best friends, and then the other times their alter egos literally want to murder each other. Like you said, you love good storytelling. I think that's the kind of genius storytelling that professional wrestling now could use with like somebody like Danhausen. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somebody who's a high sports entertainer, but entering work could be supplemented because he's fun to listen to or because he can do like all the silly comical shit. Like I feel like they're missing out on some of this entertainment value, but not in a good way. Cause they're force feeding shit down our throat, but not looking at, you know, what was genuinely a hit. You know, and here's and here's why. And this goes back to another question we talked about why WWE cannot go away. Dan Housen is fantastic. I love him. But if you were to put Dan Housen on WWE with their production team behind him, he would be a megastar. He would be over far more than he is in AEW because those are the kind of people and characters that WWE knows how to take and get their the fullest out of. Those are the characters that Vince really is able to, for whatever reason, sink his teeth into. And they're willing to be ridiculous enough to make that shit work when Vince wants to do ridiculous. They don't take themselves so seriously that they're not going to do, you know, what's going to be entertaining and funny for us because they don't want to be looked at as less than wrestlers or pigeonholed as comedy acts. Um that's why WWE can't go away because nobody else like Dan Housen is Dan Housen. Dan Housen created Dan Housen. He has been doing it. WWE would take what he's doing and crank it up to 11 on a national level and get it more over than it ever was on the Indies because none of the other companies have shown the ability to really take and do what WWE can do with a character like Dan Housen. Uh, not to digress too far, but going back, what did you think about Billy Gunn when he was managed by the honky tonk man? when he had his initial singles run. <laughs> it was terrible. And like, because you said he could work. Gunn, you said he could work. Well, and I was like, I'm not taking away from the fact Billy Gunn can work, but he had some ridiculous ass gimmicks before he got into the new age outlaws. He absolutely did. But if you think about this, uh, the one Billy Gunn run, uh, Billy Gunn, that one King of the ring. Yeah. You can kiss my Royal ass Billy Gunn. Like that was mm. cool. Like that dude could work. Yeah, he could work and given the right character and an actual push, they could have done more with him than what they did. I don't know what the determining factor was that they didn't think Billy had to get him to the next level. Um, and obviously he came over to AEW and he's managing his kids and he's still not like you'd expect a guy like Billy Gunn in AEW to be in kind of the main event early on in the beginning because he is an established name. Um, and he's one of the biggest guys on the roster, ridiculously. Uh, but he's not. Um, so I don't know what the disconnect with Billy Gunn is, but at, at, he could work in the ring. The Famouser 
surprisingly was a really great finisher. It was one. I think it's one of the more underrated finishers because it's a lot like the RKO where he would pull he it out had of nowhere, to be very man. athletic yeah. and he could pull it out of nowhere. And it was a great shot um, that I don't think gets enough love. I love the things about this episode because you'll say something and then I'll say something and then you'll start talking and I'm going to go, ooh, I want to know what he thinks about this now. Okay, so we know after the New Age Outlaw split up, Road Dog Jesse James had an icy title run, a European title run, a hardcore title run. Like, he had some good, like, singles competitors runs after the DX stuff. Do you think the wrong member of the New Age Outlaws got that push when it could have been badass Billy Gunn as the IC champion or Euro champion or hardcore champion or getting that, like, mid-card singles push? Do you think it could have been Billy Gunn there in place of Road Dog? Probably. Um, again, Road Dog didn't have for a company like now we look at guys like Kevin Owen and everything. You don't need to have the physique, right? You, you really don't. But a guy like Billy Gunn who had the physique was hampered by the fact that Road Dog was far better on the mic and more charismatic than he was. And not to say Billy didn't have the charisma. He was just overshadowed by, by the charisma that Road Dog had, which is why Road Dog got that push. Um we would have been better off. We would have had far better matches if they had gone with Billy. Um, probably better title runs in those cases. Like I said, Road Dog didn't have the look, uh, but he had all of the the Mike skills and the entertainment value, and he made you want to watch him. He reminds me like Enzo Amore. He's not the biggest guy. He's not someone that you look at. You're like he's going to go out there and wreck people, but he is so good on the mic at running his mouth and making you want to watch him that regardless of all, uh, regardless of how good or bad he is in the ring, regardless of any of that stuff, you know, he's got your attention. Whereas he's got big cast next to him, who is probably a better worker and a bigger guy and someone that they could do more with, but doesn't have that charisma and that charisma overshadows all of the other aspects. Now we got, William Morrissey over an impact doing things, but I think William Morrissey's killing it in impact, but I think his biggest holdup is impact has an abundance of guys who can talk. So if you, who can talk and also work. So because mm -hmm. he can work, but he's not the strongest talker, he's getting relinquished to that mid card again. He's had some good pushes and he's had some title like, runs or like title pushes but he never got that title run he never got over that hump and i think it's because he's lacking in the ability to talk when he had the mouthpiece like enzo like it was awesome because he could be that big brooding spectacle of a big man but now that he's solo and he doesn't have a mouthpiece i think that's where he's falling short is because he's not successful on the stick he can't talk you know i'm a little disappointed will i was How's very that? excited to come on the show and just shit all over everyone's takes, and that's not happening. I mean, surprisingly, it's been a really chill conversation. I was really hoping at least one of us would have an outburst. But so far, we're like, okay, that's kind of dumb, and here's why. And we're very educated, like, cohesive thoughts as to why their their thoughts are shit. And then we're like, now moving on. I'm like, we can You got anything in there about, like, Matt Riddle being a main event or something that I can just really just shit on real quick? Somebody told me that... Matt Riddle needs to be every champion everywhere forever. That person is a complete and total idiot. That person is dumber than Matt Riddle, and Matt Riddle is literally the dumbest person in professional wrestling. Um, <laughs> See, that's it. That's That was the last one. Now we're good. No. Uh, the next one I'm curious to get what your opinions on. It says, A.W. buried Tanahashi. 
Who? <laughs> yep. My point exactly. <laughs> I don't disagree that I feel like they didn't handle... I say there were chunks of Forbidden Door that were handled well, but I feel like for the most part, it was just like AEW being like, look how great we are. We brought in somebody from Japan to work with us. Look how cute they are. You know, like it felt like a whole lot of like head rubs and head pats from AEW. So I, I, I talked about this. Um they're referring to Forbidden Door, right? Yeah. Okay. So Forbidden Door was an AEW show. AEW is never going uh, you've look at the history of AEW with the New Japan stuff, right? They had the New Japan um Northern Hemisphere Global Championship or whatever, US title, sure. Um <laughs> the ICUP Global I, I forget what I called Northern Hemisphere Championship. Uh you saw Lance Archer hold it. You saw John Moxley hold it. When they lost it, they didn't lose it on AEW TV. When Kenny Omega was the belt collector and collected all these titles, he lost those belts to another AEW guy who then went over to Impact and lost that title. He, their top stars are never going to lose to somebody else in the company, regardless of whose championships are on the line. And Tony Khan is not going to put his belt on a wrestler that's contracted to another company and make that the main person especially if you know the iwgp or icup global hungry man champion uh isn't gonna come over to aew if there's not going to be an even exchange they're not going to do it and you should have never had the expectations of tamagotchi going over and being aew champion or any of that um in this scenario like those top nw or NJPW guys are top NJPW guys, but they're not going to go over Tony's guys on Tony's pay-per-view. Like it's not going to happen unless you have a real co-branded co-funded split down the middle, new Japan, a fully funded by both companies pay-per-view where they literally have to sit down and like hammer out details and brass tacks. It's always going to lead heavily towards the company that owns it. And forbidden door was an AEW pay-per-view. No ifs, ands or buts about it. Absolutely. Uh, Tanahashi was stellar, though. He didn't do a poor job. His and Moxley's match was amazing. They did exactly what people wanted. But I don't think... I think they, they were more so specifically talking about the fact that like it seemed like after every Tanahashi match in AEW, there was always some kind of like an aftermatch brawl or something that would take away from what Tanahashi had just done. They weren't kind of letting him take his, like, they weren't letting him get his flowers, I guess. You know what I mean? He came over here, he did these phenomenal matches, but nobody gave Tanahashi credit where credit was due. They were just like, okay, now he's gone. Um, Is it okay if I pick on your producer for a second? Yeah. Okay. Allison, you do a great job here with Smack Raw and Botch Spots and Chair Shots as a producer, but you also like pineapple on your pizza, so your opinion on who should be holding wrestling titles means absolutely nothing to me. Um Riddle is pineapple on pizza and pineapple and pizza is trash and Riddle is trash. Uh, he should not hold any belts and you should never put pineapple on pizza. Uh, so outside of your production value, which is fantastic, you do a great job and props to you for that. Um, yeah, let, let's not do that. Let, let, let's, let's not push these terrible, awful, horrible narratives. Now, as we close another episode of Botch Pots and Chair Shots. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I got a couple more on the list, my friend. Another one that I'm curious, a lot of Attitude Era stuff I think is cool. 
Um, Russo gets more credit than he deserves for the Attitude Era, and Bischoff gets more blame than deserved for WCW. Uh, yes and no. Uh, Russo did get more credit than he deserved, but I think after his run in WCW and looking on everything in hindsight, it's very clear to a lot of people outside of Vince Russo that Vince McMahon was the filter through which Vince Russo became great and losing that filter led to outside of the one amazing thing that he did in shutting Hulk Hogan down in WCW and making him leave the company for a little while. Um, not all of his ideas were as great as he thought they were. Not everything was going to get over the way he thought it was going to. Um, Eric Bischoff, I do honestly think deserves as much blame as he gets for the downfall of WCW. WCW was his baby. He did book himself into a lot of corners. He had a lot of plans that he did not have execution for. They had terrible finishes. They, you know, they put a lot of stock in things that did not have long-term payouts. Uh, they were very, in my opinion, booking-wise, short-sighted. Everything was what's the next big thing that's going to get viewers and get ratings and not how is this going to pan out down the road. Um, and when, you know, the, the they, uh, what is it, the chickens came home to roost? Uh, is, it, is that the, the Southern saying? Is that how that goes? You can just make um, it up if you want. You could say yeah. whatever. It's chickens and something, and most people are going to be like, fuck, that sounds Southern. Yeah, when when the chicken's long tails got caught under the rocking chair. Um, yep. See, that sounded good. Good job, Matt. <laughs> that's how that's how you speak south of the Mason Dixon, sir. <laughs> uh, you know, they were kind of shit out of luck, and that's why he got pushed out. And they brought in Russo to kind of try and recover what they felt they had lost. And then they, and again, shot at Dixie Carter for not realizing after getting ousted from WWF, bombing WCW bringing Russo over to TNA to try and help bring impact. Uh, like anyway, um, their value through a filter with the right people in place is fantastic, but left to their own devices. And Eric has mentioned this. He has learned a lot from his mistakes. And I think he has a lot more to offer than I would say Vince Russo does at this point. But at the time, left to his own devices, the decisions he made, the creative control that he gave away, the contracts that he signed, allowing wrestlers not to work as often as maybe they needed to or to decide who was going to win their matches, whether it was best for the company or not, ended up hindering that company. And then Vince Russo was the nail in the coffin. I will put in a shameless self-plug right now. If you haven't listened, go back on Botch Watts and Share Shots and take a listen to my interview with Vince Russo because I have mixed emotions about Russo. One, I think that he is a polarizing figure in wrestling. He's responsible for some of the biggest moments. Whether we like to admit he played a part in them or not, he was there. No matter mm -hmm. how, you know what I mean? He was part of it. You also think about the fact that this man gets an enormous amount of heat for the things that he was paid to do a job for. You know what I mean? He was paid to write these stories. Vince Russo has said that he has gotten death threats from people over the stories he's written in professional wrestling. He's like, it's so bad now that he hates it. He's like, I hate professional wrestling these days because people still blame me for stuff. All I was doing was getting a paycheck, bro. 
Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, I almost feel bad for him because he'll look at you and say, all I was doing was trying to get a paycheck. You know what I mean? He started doing exactly what we do. He started as a radio DJ in Vince's wild world of wrestling in upstate New York at like two o'clock in the morning because that was the only airtime that he could get on his local radio station. And then he worked his way up to creative spots inside of indie promotions all the way up to working for the biggest promotion in the world, all because he wanted to write about pro wrestling. You know what I mean? And now he gets Mm -hmm. shit on. Did he do a shitty job? I'm not saying yes or no. Because you look at who else was booking. When he was in TNA, he had Dutch Mantel. He had Dixie Carter. When he was in WWE, he had Bruce Pritchard. He had Jim Cornette. He had Vince McMahon. When he was in WCW, he had Jeff Jarrett and uh, you know Kevin Nash and all these guys. Like, Was Russo the only one that can be blamed? No. But he's also not you know, moving away scot-free because he also did some really shitty, shady stuff in an area of wrestling where there were a ton of con men being con men. You know, so uh, let's rattle off two more off my list and then uh, I'm going to get you out of here. One was Jim Cornette's takes are spot on 99% of the time. Do you think Mr. Cornette is uh, that right that often? No, I don't. Um, Just like anyone else in wrestling, Jim Cornette likes what the fuck Jim Cornette likes and it's not for everyone. And that doesn't because you agree with Jim Cornette doesn't make Jim Cornette right. It just means you and Jim Cornette like the same shit. There are some things that Jim Cornette says that I agree with. There are some shit that Jim Cornette says that I think he sounds like a complete and total jackass um, yelling into the clouds and he's fucking crazy. Like 99% of the time, unless you are, you know, part of the Cornette cult and that's how you view like, that's how you view wrestling and there's only one way to watch wrestling and it's Cornette's way, then yeah, sure. You'd see it that way. But again, it's an entertainment business that has a broad open expanse of what people enjoy. And there's supposed to be something in there for everyone. It's not wrestling. Isn't one thing. It's not one kind of storytelling. It's not one kind of work rate. It's not one kind of match. There are people that love the, like I call it the gangbang porn, the death matches. There are people that love, you know, the, uh, the spot fest stuff that the bucks do me personally. It's not my thing, but again, don't yuck somebody's yum. Like there's so much out there that appeals to different crowds and different people. And Jim Cornette has a very narrow view of what professional wrestling should be. So to say that he is right. 99% of the time is completely and totally asinine. Uh, I wouldn't give him 99% of the time. He's one of those, he's an old head. So do I agree with some of the things he says? Yes. But it's like the line in the big Lebowski. You're not wrong. You're just an asshole. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's hard for me to even support you sometimes. I mean, I do like Brian last. I think Brian last is a hell of a show host. He's a hell of a producer. Like, I don't necessarily agree with him a lot either, but Jim Cornette is so polarizing that even sometimes when he says something that I agree with, I'm almost like, I don't even want to admit that I agree with him because the amount of heat he generates for the things he says, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's just how I feel about Cornette these days. I feel like he's one of those old heads that are forever going to be relevant because he was such a big guy throughout wrestling history, whether he needs to be relevant in modern wrestling or not. He just seems like he always will be. 
and there's not an athletic bone in that guy's body and he carried down around a tennis racket for years and we were supposed to think that that like that made sense like that that's his mindset like but i've got his doll on my wall you do you know what i mean and it's the one where paulie beat the shit out of him and he's bloody all over the place and he's got the tennis racket and the white suit like it's kind of a cool doll it's not just mm-hmm. a regular doll and lee walker's like fuck you will they're they're figures <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one more. Uh, do you think Money in the Bank has ran its course? Because the the, no. the hot take was Money in the Bank's done. There's no reason to keep it around anymore. Uh, I disagree. I think that they're not utilizing it properly. Um, I've been a big staunch supporter for the fact that Money in the Bank should be a WrestleMania exclusive. Uh, it should take place as a match at WrestleMania like it was originally. It should not have its own pay-per-view. Um, you can have both the men's, especially with two nights of WrestleMania, you can have both a men's and a women's money in the bank on separate nights. So one's not overshadowing the other on the same night. Um, it's one of, there are very few gimmick matches like the Royal rumble that constitute its own pay-per-view stuff like Helen Estelle should be based on a feud and not based on a time of year when that pay-per-view comes up to where they need to get there. Um, same thing with money in the bank. This, uh, They've kind of made it the new King of the Ring, and I'd much rather have King of the Ring back and have Money in the Bank be a match than an entire pay-per-view and a brand. I also believe that they did it right this year and putting the Money in the Bank on two people who have, A, never held Money in the Bank before. On occasion, running it back is fine, but this is the Money in the Bank contract is something that you should be utilizing the way the intercontinental title used to be utilized as a stepping stone to get someone to the main event, or at least to test, to see if they are ready for that main event push. If they can get the crowd behind them enough to want to see them go over the champion and be that next level star. That is what money in the bank should be utilized for. So putting it on an Austin theory, putting it on a live Morgan and giving them the chance, even though the women, they only let them hold it for a couple hours to 24 hours for whatever reason and never actually do a run with it um, to see if Austin theory has the chops to be in the ring with the Roman reigns, to be on the mic against Roman reigns, Bobby Lashley, Kevin Owens, you know, all of these top stars, this is his testing point. Can he go from this guy that we saw in the way in NXT to a U.S. champion who lost to Bobby Lashley to being a believable main eventer? If that's where they want to put him and see him, that's how, they should do it. Uh, yes, JJ. Um, I don't really think WWE has plans going forward for uh, women's tag titles. So uh, WWE hates tag teams as is for the most part. Um, they'd be better off with a women's mid card title, an IC title, a US title, something along those lines, than they would be trying to utilize a tag division. I think that Money in the Bank does not need to be its own gimmick. I think that it should be a gimmick inside of, like you said, a WrestleMania thing. But SummerSlam. You and I have talked about it as well in a previous episode uh, when you and I were on together where we said, do these gimmick matches need their own standalone pay-per-views? Does the story need to tell the match with a Hell in a Cell or do we just get a Hell in a Cell match because it's the pay-per-view? You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. Do we get the Money in the Bank ladder match because it's the time of year for it? Or do we get the build for it because it's SummerSlam or because it's WrestleMania? I feel like if you take away from the pay-per-view alone and just use the match, it could still mean something. 
But I feel like you said with Liv, for instance, I feel like she didn't even make it down the ramp before she had already cashed hers in. It was like two matches later in the cards, you know, like that fast is when it happened. So uh, I think it could be booked differently, but not necessarily taken away. I don't think it's ran its course. I think they can still mm-hmm. do more with it if done right. Um, Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royals runs course. That can go. Yeah. I think that they could easily do. I don't think there's any point in having any big name brand rumble of any kind other than the Royal Rumble, unless it's just a one-off for fun kind of thing. I don't think trying to rebrand another Battle Royal or Royal Rumble style event is ever going to get over with the WWE crowd because they've tried it throughout history. And ever since 88 with the original Rumble, it's never been anything but the original Rumble. You mean you didn't like Saudi's greatest Royal Rumble? Uh, Was that the one where Titus O'Neil went sliding face face first under the rink? And Braun Strowman won and had a belt that he never defended that he we never saw again. Oh yeah, I do forget. I did. I knew Braun Strowman won it. It was also like a fifty-man Royal Rumble or whatever, right? Yeah. All right, Mister Ritter. This is my favorite. Real quick. Oh, go ahead. Wait, real quick. Uh, Two points to something that we talked about at the very beginning of the show: the Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant thing. Uh huh. Uh, Andre was also the first inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame when it still meant something and mattered. Bingo. Uh, Was the first person to get a statue. And there is no Hulk Hogan Memorial Battle Royal, even though he's not dead. Uh, there's nothing named after or for Hulk Hogan in WWE. So who was the bigger star? The first inductee into the Hall of Fame, the man with the statue inside Titan Towers, and the man that had a unfortunately uh, poorly booked and treated Royal Rumble named after him. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, the reasons why Andre the Giant was more over than Hulk Hogan. matt this is my favorite part of the episode because i just get to sit here and listen to you talk plug everything you guys got at smacking it raw creation world and everything new and exciting coming up in your world all right uh last night we recorded the five-year anniversary episode of the smacking raw podcast which will be out tomorrow i believe um so you guys can check that out we have answered questions from will um as well as various other podcasters who i consider friends that we worked with who submitted questions for us uh talked about five years of podcasting and doing the smack and raw podcast in general favorite moments worst moments i had my wife on vince katie and uh travis as well um we have return to wrestling uh available on youtube right now is the starcade episode if you subscribe to the patreon which i will give you all that information you can go check out 1997 sold out that is available up on the patreon a month before it is available on youtube so uh, if you subscribe there you get all those return to wrestling episodes a month early uh as for me you can follow me at my readers at m-a-t-t-r-i-d-d-r on twitter only twitter and instagram smacking raw pod i run the twitter vince runs the instagram uh facebook.com slash group slash smacking raw uh creation world is the banner under which the smacking raw podcast exists and you can find them and everything that they have including us at creation on twitter and instagram at the creation world t-h-e-c-r-e-a-t-i-a world and facebook.com slash creation world mr ritter it's always fun man one of my Absolutely. favorite people from the internet that i've ever met in wrestling podcasts i'm glad you stumbled into my life so once again congratulations after five successful years of your podcast mm-hmm. uh i want to remind everybody of some of the things botch bots has coming up this coming week we've got landon hale we've got isaiah broner and we've got one pulling from the archives with miss gail kim so we've got three cool interviews dropping this week 
Um, we've also got the Orange Ribbon Rumble, which is the Botch Pots and Chair Shots promoted event partnering with Pro Wrestling Alliance, where we're doing a battle royal and card, and 100% of the gate is going to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Um, so that's super cool. We're dabbling in independent wrestling now. Somebody decided that was a good idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but make sure you follow uh, RN and Kai for the Rewind and the Smack Raw Pod. Make sure you follow Just a Girl 918, Alice and the Boss Bitch of Botch Bots and Chair Shots, and the Smack Raw Podcast Network. Follow me at The Will Gray at Sportster, Last Word on Sports and Pro Wrestling Stories. But. I'm going to do it for real this time. See if I fuck it up. Now as we close another episode of Botch Bots and Share Shots, I want to take a minute and thank you for listening. Remind you to go wherever you do anything on the internet. Facebook, Instagram, iHeartRadio, Spotify. Literally, you have all the options. Remember to like, follow, subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. Leave a comment telling us how great we are or how terrible we sound. Either way, it helps the algorithm. It helps find new listeners. If you're feeling really generous and be one of the VIP people, head over to Patreon.com and donate to the Smack Draw Podcast Network. You get some free swag. We get some fantastic guests. It's a win-win for... The Warden, Matt Ritter. I am the Will Gray. Thanks for stopping by and listening, my people. Watch Spots and Share Shots. And people, just to start off, if y'all haven't, go subscribe to Botch Spots and Share Shots on all platforms to make sure we get in here on Botch Spots and Share Shots. One of the hottest podcasts out here. Definitely from the spotlight. DJ Savage represents the takeover all day. And Botch Spots and Share Shots. Check. Savage!